Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest for the second of two podcasts is Dr. Diane Neumark-Steiner, professor in the Division of Epidemiology and Community Health in the School of Public Health and an adjunct professor in the Department of Pediatrics at the University of Minnesota. Uh, she's a highly regarded individual in the scholarly field and has published a great number of papers, book chapters, and books on issues of eating disorders, weight-related issues, and the prevention of weight concerns. Um, Diane, I'm delighted to have you with us, and we're going to talk today about uh, some of the controversies between the eating disorders and obesity fields. And at first glance, this wouldn't seem to be an issue. You'd think that the eating disorders and obesity fields would agree on things, but it turns out not to be the case in, in all, uh, all instances. And there are specific public policy things that have come up that have divided these fields in some ways. And you're one of the few individuals who has a feed in both fields and I think can see uh, both points of view. And so I'd be curious about your reactions to several of these things. Um, one of them uh, that has come up in recent years is the issue of BMI report cards. So this would be the the process by which a school system would collect weights on individuals, individual children, send them home to parents with varying levels of information that parents then could use or not choose to use, um, but to do with what they wish. And the obesity field, uh, some people in the field think that it's fine to do it, but not likely to be harmful. But some people in the eating disorders fields do feel that this could potentially be harmful. What are some of the concerns that you may have about this or others in the field may have? So thank you for having me. Um, yeah, this is a very interesting topic, and, and I've thought about it a lot. Um, so the specific area of sending report cards home in which parents are told that their child is overweight has been very controversial. I believe that this comes out of real concerns about the health of our young people and and the the high prevalence of overweight and obesity among youth, and some well-intentioned efforts by by schools, by policymakers, um, by educators to you know really let parents know that their child is overweight in order to motivate them to to um, take further steps to address this issue. Um, within the eating disorder field, there has been a major upcry um, about these policies um, because of, of instances that have happened, um, because of the overall message that it's given, and because we don't really know if this is effective. So, so um, I mean, and I guess this, this, this concern really comes out of, well, do we want to be making weight the issue? If a child gets a note that says he's overweight and that note falls out of his backpack, for example, and this has happened, this is one of the instances that has happened numerous times, um, and other children see it, you know, is he then the victim of weight bullying? Um, and this is a, a, a concern. What about children getting weighed in, in schools? Who's doing this? What kind of messages are they giving? Doesn't an overweight child know that he or she is overweight? And does this make it worse? Um, the effectiveness of this policy has, has also come into question. 
What do parents do when they find out that their child is overweight? In, in our own research, we've actually seen that parents of overweight children who know that their children are overweight don't engage in behaviors with them that are likely to help their weight status. The only, the only thing that really happens is they encourage their children to diet, and that has been found to predict weight gain over time. So, so this policy is very, very controversial because we feel that we feel, I say we, I mean, I kind of cross over between the obesity and the eating disorders field, although on this issue, I really align with the eating disorder field, that this is a policy that, that has the potential to be harmful, and I believe very little potential to be helpful. You know, the nice thing about you raising the, you and others raising these concerns is whether or not it'll affect whether these policies get enacted at least could uh, alert people who are studying the impact of these policies to look at a broad range of potential outcomes, including some of the negative ones that you've, you've raised. And then at least the policymakers would be in a position to know that there are some downsides of this, some upsides potentially, uh, if they get documented, and then could make an informed decision about going ahead with the policy. Yeah, and ideally that would happen before the policy is implemented at a national level. I mean, if there's any danger of a policy being harmful, in my opinion, it really needs to be evaluated before it's implemented. Um, even if it's not harmful, but it's not helpful, it's still taking resources. And, and, and one of my fears is that schools may believe, and this is more on the, the side of obesity prevention, schools may believe they're implementing obesity prevention interventions by doing this, this um, you know, monitoring and sending this information home, um, that's not obesity prevention. We really need to be implementing programs in schools that, that help children be more physically active, prevent weight-related bullying, help children make healthier food choices. Those are much harder changes to implement. What would you think about a variant of the approach that instead of giving parents feedback about their children's weight, it would be feedback on the behaviors that might be involved with weight, like you know, fruit and vegetable intake and physical activity levels and things like that, behaviors that would be relevant for all children, not just the ones who are overweight. Do you think that would be a helpful enterprise? I definitely think that we need to be providing information, but more importantly, support for families of all children to be helping them help their children's um, help their children make healthier food choices, be physically active, but also messages that they can use with their children to help them have a positive body image, a better sense of self, self-worth. And, um, and we need to be doing this within the context of the situation in which families live. If families live within poverty, um, what, what community resources, for example, are available to ensure that, that youth are making healthy food choices and have that food available to them. You know, another area where some controversy has arisen is menu labeling, and this would be legislation that began at local levels and then went to states, and now there's a national law that will kick in sometime soon on this, requiring restaurants, chain restaurants primarily, to list the calorie values of the foods either on their menus or menu boards. What is your reaction to that? So again, this is an instance where a policy was put into place where where data really were not available to show that this is going to be an effective policy for the people who need it most. Um, and that is a concern of mine. 
I also have concerns about the fact that the information only focuses on calories and doesn't focus on nutrients. And I realize this, you know, it's easier to put up the calorie information than all the nutrient information. But um, I would hate for people to solely be making their choices based on calories. Um, the, the advantage to this policy is, and, and we've discussed this, that, that um, it could have a, a desirable input I- impact on the restaurants themselves in trying to make their food healthier, adjusting food portions, using, using less fat, having more fruits and vegetables. That would be a great change. Um, it can also serve to educate people a bit about what they're eating. But, um, but again, you know, is this going to be effective and is it going to be effective on the right people? You know, you could have a situation, um, and I've actually had this situation where I see how many calories are in a food and I think that's not going to be enough for me. So I'll order something actually with more calories. And, you know, so people could be looking at it both ways. There have been some studies done. You probably know the the results um, better than I do. My read of them is not quite as effective as well, people the, the hoped it would have, happen. There are some studies now with mixed results, uh, some showing positive effects, some showing no effects. Um, but they're mainly looking at whether people make different dietary choices, and they haven't been looking at some of the issues that might concern people from the eating disorders field about whether this brings more attention to body image and weight when... Uh, in ways that may not be helpful. So uh, it, it would be nice if the studies took on a broader range of outcome variables to study. Yeah, I think it's very, very important whenever we implement a policy um, that is has its primary aim as preventing an outcome such as obesity or such as eating disorders to look at the unintended consequences mm-hmm. and to look at very, very subtle shifts um, at the messages that they may be given. So I'm not going to read a menu and, you know, it's not going to cause me to develop an eating disorder, but is it going to cause me to to think a bit differently mm-hmm. about the food choices I want to make um, in both a positive and a negative way? Is it going to make me think about my body image? And, you know, so, yes, we definitely need to be looking at that. And I'll be curious about your reaction to a, a, yet another set of policy initiatives having to do with uh, trying to reduce population consumption of sugared beverages. So there are a lot of things that fall into this category. There are aggressive ed, ed, uh, educational campaigns in cities like New York, uh, but other places as well. There are uh, moves afoot to put taxes on these sugared beverages. And then in New York City, there is the highly visible effort by the, the Department of Health to restrict portion sizes of these things. I haven't heard any, um, any comment on this from people in the eating disorders field, but there might well have been some that I missed. But I'm curious about your own reaction to these. Yeah, I would say that, um, that this is an area that could be controversial and that it impinges upon personal freedom. However, there is no question that sugar-sweetened beverages do not have any nutritional benefits. Um, they are not a food that is necessary for us to be eating, certainly not in the, the large amounts that people are eating. And I think this is why we have not heard a lot of controversy around this. Um, and, you know, I mean, 
within the eating disorder fields, there is the discussion about whether food should be labeled as good or bad, healthy, unhealthy. Um, and But for the most part, those discussions are around food in general that have both both you know, advantages and disadvantages for different people. Soda pop is one of those that really doesn't have any advantage for anyone. be interesting to see where that discussion goes. Yeah. So, so far we've talked about several issues where the eating disorders and obesity fields might be at odds or might have disagree- genuine disagreements about whether these are sensible policies or not. But I know you've thought about common ground where the fields might come together and work together on a certain set of solutions. What might some of those areas be where you think common ground could be reached? So as it turns out, there are a lot of common grounds, and um, I think it's important for both fields and parents who are concerned, you know, with with the broad spectrum of weight-related problems, to to be aware of them. For for example, dieting is um, is typically viewed as a solution to to obesity, not so much by health professionals, but by the by the public. We see. You know, lots of books um, about dieting in and the New York Times bestsellers, et cetera. Um, actually, our research has strongly shown that dieting is is predictive of both weight gain and obesity over time, and of disordered eating and eating disorders over time. This lays the the groundwork for for um, for a shared interest where we can be telling everyone, really, we don't want to be focusing on dieting. And by dieting, we kind of mean a short-term change in behavior that's you know has some strict rules in it. But rather, we want to be focusing on longer-term lifestyle behaviors. Um, an area of body image that's typically been, been um, of more interest to the eating disorders field. Um, but but more and more our research is showing that body image or being dissatisfied with your body not only predicts eating disorders but predicts weight gain over time. So another area of shared interest. We can also look at the food environment. And um, I haven't seen research findings on this as it relates to eating disorders. But just kind of thinking about this in general, we can think, well, what what is the environment in which we are raising our children? We're raising them in an obesogenic environment with lots of soda pop, lots of high-calorie, um, large portions, you know, et cetera. Um, we know that this has an impact on obesity, but what kind of impact is this having on the onset of disordered eating and eating disorders? Because it's a very strange environment to grow up in an environment which has so many opportunities for overeating, so few opportunities for being physically active, but is still giving messages about the value of being thin. So so that's really an area that, that could potentially have some positive effects for the broad spectrum of eating and weight-related problems. You know, it's nice to end on a positive note like that because if these two fields can work together, they just strengthen numbers, more voices arguing in the right direction. And then uh, policies could be made where they're aren't unintended consequences that, you know, spill over from one into the other in a negative way. So it's nice of you to raise these as potential issues that could bring the fields together. So thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, and thank you to the Rudd Center for all the 
wonderful work you do in addressing these issues. Oh, I appreciate those nice comments. Our guest, Dr. Diane Newmark-Steiner, professor in the Division of Epidemiology and Community Health in the School of Public Health at the University of Minnesota. I welcome you to visit our website, which is at www.yalerudcenter.org. There you'll find an awful lot of information on food and food policy issues spanning a variety of topics. Uh, You can subscribe to a newsletter that we provide that's very informative and also get a list of the other podcasts for the excellent visitors who have come to the Rudd Center. Thank you.